0: Welcome to the Hello First Name podcast. The Hello First Name podcast revolves around the term personalization and is brought to you by marketing author Rasmus Holi, founder of Omnichannel Institute and chief experience officer at the marketing automation software company, Agilic. The podcast is based on the book Hello First Name. Each episode is based in turn on a chapter from the book, followed by a discussion of the very same chapter with an expert marketing practitioner in the following episode. As always, you can buy the book on Amazon or other bookstores. You can also choose to listen to it all for free on your favorite podcast service. You're also very welcome to download the abstract of the book for free, and all models, of course, are able to download. All downloads are sponsored by Agilic. I'll make sure to put a link to everything in the show notes. But you can always connect on LinkedIn, and I'll be happy to reply and help out. Hello, and welcome to the Hello First Name podcast. Today, we'll be discussing chapter 11 from the book, Hello, First Name, namely Personalization in Marketing Automation, together with Jesper Lineberg, Head of CRM at Minto. Jesper, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So glad to, to have you here and thank you for, for squeezing out the time in your, in your busy uh, calendar. Uh, so um, you've been working at uh, Minto. Minto.com for, for some years now, Jesper. Before that, you were even at the agency side and uh, for a short while and at Saxo.com. But in your own words, can you can tell us a bit about yourself and, and your career up until now?
1: Yes, so uh, my name is uh, Jesper. And as mentioned, I'm head of CRM and I have been so for, for three years at the Minto. I have been working here for almost six years. And before that, as mentioned, I was at an agency uh, called Condon uh, where I was working with uh, clients like Fruitex and Sylvan, uh, consulting and assisting them with their uh, newsletter activities. Before that, I was at Saxo, and that is where my career began. Uh, and store for
0: those, a who don't bookstore, know
1: the it. equivalent yeah. of uh, Amazon, if the local Amazon books. in Denmark. <laughs> yeah, uh, a, a very big player uh, within e-commerce in Denmark, and it was kind of by coincidence I stumbled into CRN regret doing so ever since it's uh, an amazing field and one of the biggest reasons why i love working with them is that so much is measurable and that's uh, really inspiring that you can uh, track a lot of the things uh, that you do and see ah, the impact from it super and, accountable exactly
0: Minto.com. which kind of business is that So we are a
1: fashion e-commerce platform. Uh, We see ourselves, or not see ourselves, we are a marketplace. Um, And the best way to explain what we do is basically if you as an individual have a favorite uh, clothing store, uh, that could be in Denmark, it could be in another country. What we do at Minso is make um, stock and clothes available from physical stores on our market platform. And we do that across uh, numerous markets in Europe. And so that's what we make sure of, that uh, close close just doesn't uh, lie around in the physical stores, uh, but gets available for for people in other cities, in other markets. And uh, that's our uh, business model. And we earn our money through commission. uh, Mm -hmm. And that's, challenging a uh, business model in some sense, in the sense okay. that profit margins are not always, as, uh, big as you would see from other big uh, e-commerce fashion players uh, mm. like Boost or Zalando, which also means that our CRM activities are also very much affected or influenced by that fact that we really need to be smart about how we do uh, communication with our customers. So, But more on that later on, I assume. Yeah.
0: So I guess, but a short note, I guess, is that if people want to look at a player, a marketplace player that is super efficient, you could probably be a pretty good bet. But just let me let me understand. So if I'm if I'm a merchant and I have a, a clothing store in Italy or whatever, then I could sell my stuff through Minto.com, put my goods for sale there. And you would sell it to basically, I could have then customers all over Europe through your platform, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Um, and 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 vice versa. If if I'm a consumer, then I could benefit from the huge assortment, huge inventory that you'd be having, because all these small uh, clothing stores, even the small ones in Italy and Spain and uh, Germany and whatever, would have their clothes uh, for sale online
1: through yes, Minto. Exac- exactly. So so if we take it from the consumer consumer side, the the reason why Minto is so appealing to to a lot of customers and and that we're doing well. Is our uh, wide uh, range of assortment. We have a uh, crazy depth uh, and and spread in which categories that we we have uh, across uh, brands that you don't find on on regular e-commerce stores, uh, and that is because of that fact that we have a lot of players across European markets and also these smaller uh, brands and small stores. That's what makes. Uh, Minto really unique. Mm. If we cover the merchant side, or the boutique side from it, uh, the reason why we're appealing for these uh, boutiques to come online on Minto is that, as you mentioned, that they can get an easy access, plug and play access to a a much larger audience than them having to do either their own uh, e-commerce site or have uh, several boutiques across Europe. and um, so that's why it's, it's, it's a win for them as well.
0: But also means you have two target groups to cater for and to keep satisfied. I mean, not only the customers, but also the merchants. That must be some extra. I mean, how many merchants do you have roughly? I believe it's around 2,000 merchants. Yeah, so quite a target group actually. And of course, millions yes. of, of end customers. So how much on average goes of your... Of your time for the for the merchants and how much goes for the for the for the consumers. I mean,
1: uh, back in the day, we we we, we were really bad at communicating from a CRM angle with our merchants. Mm. Uh, it was very you know handheld. Uh, what was uh, sent to these uh, partners, as we call them, uh, where it ended up with because it uh, came down to a uh, uh, question about resources and, and time consumption, that it was the top, top partners that mm. got the, 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 the good insights, uh, yeah. where we have really focused on um, in the previous years to, to build up a CRM uh, perspective for these partners as well. So both utilizing and um, kind of campaigns where we inform about news in the company, if it's about return policies or, or fees or technical setups that we're implementing, but also if we have upcoming campaigns that they should prepare for and and what the timing of of that will be. Um, On the marketing automation side, we also really have developed into a a place where we are able to give them much better insights on what and how they're doing uh, at Minto. And that has really scaled up the amount of efficiency, but also the the insights that each partner can, can get. So it's not just kept to to the top ten uh, percent of our, our partners, but we really provide some some insights with graphs, with uh, with, with tables on which brands, categories, and so on that's performing uh, mm. based on what they have in their assortment. So we don't only function as a, a consulting part in in what they're doing uh, in the sense of their own assortment, but we can also give them insights too based on their. A profile as a boutique, with which brands they have, which uh, other categories and brands that they could benefit from, from purchasing. Uh, so that's where it becomes uh, really interesting. yeah.
0: But extra, extra complex. I think many of the ones who are probably listening to this will have like one target group that they're mainly focused on and they're selling their own products or maybe sourced products to them. But you really have two sides of the same. So always trying to keep either side happy. And I guess you can run out of products as well as you can run out of people who want to buy. So, check exactly. it. Um, so that's uh, that's pretty interesting. So in uh, AdMinto.com and reflecting again on the book uh, where we are writing about uh, personalization within campaigns, personalization through marketing automation and uh, on-site personalization as well. Which of these are you using uh, AdMinto?
1: So I would say that we cover all of them. Uh, if, we, if we talk about on-site, uh, we of course use a product recommendation tool that ensures that... Uh, the products uh, that you browse around, based on how much you browse, that they're relevant okay. uh, in your uh, session that uh, you're visiting Minto in. And the reason why that is so crucial for us is also throwing strings back to, to what I said about assortment and the wide selection of brands and categories that we have, that it can quickly become super overwhelming if we are not yeah. relevant enough based on what you're interested in. So that's how we use, uh, use uh, the on-site uh, personalization. When it comes to uh, our campaigns, it's very much uh, connected to our yearly cycle of uh, what is going on in the fashion world. So uh, it comes probably as no big surprise that <laughs> in the summer, it's it's more uh, summer clothing and, and yeah. lighter clothes. And in the winter, it's uh, winter boots, winter jackets and so on. Yeah. And that is just very, very crucial that we... Uh, all of the time, reflect what is uh, with, what, what is moving in the market. Yeah. And also something that can actually be a challenge for us sometimes because we are across uh, Europe uh, from Scandinavia to Southern Europe in Spain, Italy. Ah, yeah. so and spring
0: Duarte. is not the same time exactly. Everywhere.
1: Yeah, So that's why okay. we, we really focus on using our business intelligence to know which brands and categories mm. are moving and what time they're moving because the timing isn't the same in each market.
0: Of course, and, ah, uh, now. yeah. And when it comes, it's also a challenge. With, uh, for instance, just in just in Sweden, for instance, because Sweden is so long, north to south, mm-hmm. that uh, that spring just just doesn't come at the same time. So, so when they are selling paint for the houses, whatever, they need to do that different, differently based on their uh, geographies. So, exactly. with and all over Europe, I can just only imagine that challenge actually becomes grainer.
1: Yeah, and and for instance, in in Sweden, we can always see that. We are really struggling across the summer, but in the winter period, we really thrive in Sweden (laughs) Mm. because we we are really strong in in the winter category and uh, it's quite cold. Right
0: now, I was uh, cycling through a snowstorm uh, to get to work today. Exactly. So, uh, great. Um, So, so there's a a claim in the book um, about... um, about what matters the most when you're working with uh, with marketing automation uh, if you if you recall the bow tie the insights are either segments or they're moments of truth roughly speaking and the content is roughly speaking either made up of what we call messages or what we call uh, the content feeds which in, in your case would probably be a uh, product feeds uh, so the claim in the book is that uh that As opposed to the moments of truth uh, and the messages uh, that segments and content feeds are secondary in marketing automation. So the moments of truth and the messages are what matter the most. Do you see that reflected in the way that you're working in practice at Minto?
1: Yes, definitely. Uh, So from the get-go, when I started at Minto, we had one welcome email in in the Netherlands and that was what was existing in marketing automation. Uh, My strategy and, and kind of around it from the beginning was that I didn't want to at least at first focus too much on creating these super complex flows with, yeah. uh, with uh, personalized uh, messaging and and uh, personalized segments and so on. I wanted to focus on tapping into the moments of truth as you mentioned it, that I knew were low-hanging fruits. Uh, and some of those could, for instance be when you just signed up to a newsletter, that's of course a welcome flow. Uh, But also if you purchase something that you have some activities that surround that, uh, and that could be in post-purchase, but also if there's a longer period of inactivity, it could be win back flows. And in general, what really shines through all of these automations that we've built uh, surrounding those moments of truth is that at the get-go, they weren't super complicated. It was more about uh, putting something uh, in the sea. And, and make it fly and then optimize from there on instead yeah. of having a, a strategy about building a rocket ship that you don't even know uh, if it's going to fly or not. Uh, yeah. And that has really been something that has transcended uh, through uh, all of our executions uh, since then. Um, yeah.
0: So getting it live and uh, matching maybe as many moments of truth with some kind of communication and then later make the communication better. That's what I hear. Yes exactly i sometimes say that the, the best marketing automation flow that you, uh, the, the best um, abandoned basket flow the best abandoned basket email that you can have is the one that you get live first and uh, just so really true. having it live will make a lot of difference and then later fine tuning it yeah that can give i don't know 20 uh 20% extra uh, even more i've heard actually but but still getting it live is really what moves the needle uh in the first place so getting the welcome flow live in a generic way after that may be the uh, the best second option and so on and so on so really Mm -hmm. matching into as many moments of truth as possible um so so how do you see that we're talking talking about value creation which kind of value are you getting from from marketing automation
1: so from from what i've experienced both at saxo but also at cool and and in the beginning at minso Manual campaigns is uh, and has always been what is driving the party when it comes to, to uh, revenue and, and performance peaks. Uh, but what I can also see uh, from my uh, past experience is that you're very much uh, lacking performance when the campaigns are not running. Mm. Uh, so what I really want to focus on uh, when starting at Mintool was trying to fill those gaps uh, and I knew that uh, marketing automation isn't meant to create the same type, types of peaks uh, between campaigns, but it has been really crucial for us to build some sort of baseline uh, revenue that we can depend on every day uh, between campaigns. Uh, and the more automation that we've kind of built on top of each other, so starting off with uh, windbag, um, abandoned basket, uh, welcome flow and so on, Uh, the more tiles kind of build on top of each other. Mm. Uh, And that means that we have a a really, really strong revenue between peak campaigns that we can actually depend on each day uh, running in an automated way. And I was thinking uh, prior to this podcast that one of the best examples was uh, our team leaving on uh, Christmas break uh, here in 2023. And in that Christmas break, there was no one touching our, uh, our automation or anything, it was just running by itself, and it did uh, more than 10 million uh, Danish kroner just by running yeah. um, and that goes to show what what it is that automation can that uh, even though you're i don't know run down by a car, hospitalized, it will always uh, be <laughs> running uh, it, it has a minimum of effort that you need to to keep it uh, ongoing yeah. uh, and that has really, really been strong for us. That we are not too dependent on having these manual campaigns because what you also end up with is that if you are too dependent on these peaks that you will reach some sort of saturation within your audience uh, when time goes by in the sense that you keep filling in the the calendar months with campaign days and at some point you'll uh, end up with uh, not enough calendar days and an extremely saturated audience that yeah. will never want to buy on on any uh, full price uh, because they are used to uh, discount uh, landing in their inbox almost every
0: day. So coming so back that to was the marketplace
1: exactly operating the, model, there,
0: you need the to profit margin. margin. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Uh, so maybe you already answered this in a way, but so so. So the value creation from marketing automation—do you see that as long-term or short-term, or both, or which which sort of time perspective are you are you putting down on how you're measuring uh, success?
1: I would uh, I would say in the beginning I was a bit surprised uh, about how long it took to actually see an impact from marketing automation mm. in the sense that the volumes are, are are quite small, and that also draws strings back to what we said uh, earlier that. It's it's about getting things live uh, because yeah. it can take some time for, for performance to build up. Um, so it's definitely been a, a long-term uh, gain that we've seen from this. And I would say from starting, building the automation back in 2018, it took probably four to five months before we really started seeing some substantial mm. revenue uh, baseline performance coming in every day. Uh, but once you're there, it's it's... It's difficult to see a reality where you could live without the automation running, um, but it's definitely not something where you will see a result uh, from day one.
0: Yeah. yeah, I guess thinking about it now, and the the example that you just gave from from Christmas, where you're making ten millions of krona while unwrapping presents, basically, and uh, and exactly. uh, drinking schnapps, that's a that's a pretty hard uh, proposition, and not something that you want to turn off suddenly. No, exactly. Interesting. Um, so, so, maybe talking about other kinds of value creation with marketing automation, um, I mean there's a lot of obviously I mean, you're a fashion retailer, you want to be selling, you want to be pushing the top line, you want to drive revenue. Do you have some examples of some automation flows that are not about selling? yeah,
1: so so what comes to mind uh, when when hearing the question is, of course, uh, we have a trust pilot uh, flow that of course, as many other e-commerces uh, make sure that we gather insights uh, both on uh, good experience, but also bad experience, experiences. But uh, even more important and crucial for our automation setup is our NPS flows, hmm. where we have a questionnaire that we send out to customers uh, some days after they've placed their transaction, hearing them both about their experience from the NPS score perspective, but also hearing their reasoning behind why they had a good experience or a bad experience. Um, and that uh, knowledge is really, really useful for us in, in making the comp- company overall uh, benefit from feedback from our customers in an automated way. Uh, so what we do with this questionnaire is that we take this information and export it uh, every night. And so it lives inside of our business intelligence. So it goes from agility to our business intelligence, where it then populates into a, a, a report that is refreshed daily where we have an understanding about what is running the positive uh, customer experiences. And for those that are, are experiencing some bad experiences, what is that caused by? And that is uh, extremely effective in prioritizing what we should focus on first.
0: So so if I put in a negative review and I say, well, oh, listen, I had a shirt, it was broken and then it didn't arrive on time and um, my dog died, what... Uh, what happens then? What what happens to me as the, as the end customer?
1: Yeah, so that's kind of a part that we would wish was more automated in the sense that we wanted you to feel that when you give us a feedback that it's actually something that is addressed. Mm-hmm. I would say from an overall perspective, what happens is that this information is treated uh, daily and is treated in bi-weekly meetings where we really cap on to what is uh, driving the bad experiences. And a really good example of what it can bring uh, with it is uh, our product uh, data that we have seen from a customer perspective hasn't been good enough. Uh, So that could be uh, product images, product descriptions, Mm. product titles uh, that have actually not lived up to what the customer was then experiencing when they got the package. that drives up uh, customer uh, experience uh, complaints, uh, drives up return rates, and so on. Yeah. And that has really been uh, good for us to prioritize and build a business case around how important it is that we get these uh, this product data uh,
0: yeah. even better. I guess both in terms of keeping the customers happy and maybe, I don't know, if you ever provide some sort of a compensation if things are really bad. But also, I w- I would guess for the merchant. So if you have a merchant that is consistently uploading products that look bad or there could be exactly. something uh, in that optimizing that side of the uh, of the coin
1: exactly, and that's uh, also actually another side to it, uh, as you mentioned that we take this information uh, and if there is a trending partner in a negative way mm. um it's not used to uh, <laughs> shout at the partner or anything, but it's actually used to to create some uh, valuable feedback to yeah. have a, a partner success uh, partner growth team that actually uh, of course takes care of our merchants partners and actually uses this information that we we get from mps Mm. to uh, provide valuable feedback on how a specific partner is creating products uh, which product images and product descriptions and so on that they're putting in there because if we can make them benefit from that then in general that will benefit us and the customers uh, in in the other end so it's kind of a the wheel of success that we're trying to, to build based on that feedback that starts in the NPS survey. Hmm.
0: All right. Um, so coming back to the, the value generating flows again, um, what are the most effective ones, the most effective flows in terms of driving top line revenue in a, in a business like yours?
1: I would say it's, it's a no-brainer to, to get a first welcome email live. So once uh, a customer signs up, that you're in the top of their inbox, uh, that you introduce yourself and that you uh, get that permission up and running.
0: Mm. Um, is I that one say email that... or is it a series of emails or how elaborate is sort of, sort of your welcome program? So. To speak? Um,
1: yeah, so our welcome flow is not too elaborate. And, and the reason for that is that we've actually seen that Based on, we've have, uh, we have had a, a welcome flow that was up to five emails long, mm-hmm. uh, spanning over 30 days, but we could really see that the value lied in the beginning uh, right. of when a customer yeah. signed up. So we prioritized 30 days a long time. time. Exactly. So we prioritized differently and uh, deactivated uh, most of the welcome emails that lied in that flow and let other emails uh, push in. And, and that could be, yeah. uh, for instance, as I said, Trust pilot NPS, but also mm. post purchase. Uh, uh, because what you also need to consider when you build up a, a marketing automation setup is understanding what is the pressure in a in a given customer experience. So how many emails does a, a customer in general get, not yeah. only from the manual campaigns, but also from just purchasing something and signing up to your Oh newsletter. yes, yeah. So that has also been. a uh, an exercise for us actually to backtrack a bit and understand how how big is this pressure because even though that automation is super relevant you also need to respect people's inbox and um, so so just um, trying to explain that welcome flow uh, processation that we've uh, taken on that mm. and when it comes to the last uh, flow that I would like to mention it's 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 really went back yep. uh, getting that uh, customer buying frequency up by uh, tapping into transactional data. It is such a no-brainer. And what I would say that we've learned from is actually that I think a lot of companies, they work um, just with one win-back. So they try after three months or four months and so on. Mm -hmm. What we've actually found out is that there are several moments of truth in a win-back flow. So actually having several emails in a win-back flow that either starts earlier Uh, after a recent inactivity, but Mm -hmm. with a lower discount offer, and then kind of builds up from there. Uh, So you have some sort of staircase automation that over time tries to, to convert them Uh, because what you need to understand is that for some three months inactivity, uh, which could be a win back uh, waiting timestamp that fits for them, but for other customers, uh, it's more about 60 days or 120 days and so on. Uh, and in Meaning the on individual world. frequency exactly, and in the perfect world, I would like to enrich this waiting step uh, logic with uh, some personalized uh, transactional data yeah. knowledge so so having something that fits for you uh, yeah. for your flow and something that fits for me, yeah. but again, this is also uh, reverting back to what is nice to have, cool to have versus getting something live yeah and uh, so it's something that we will. Strive to have in the future, but it's not something that we can prioritize right now. Hmm.
0: So, uh, welcome and win back. I would yes. assume. I mean, that's. Uh, I hear a lot that the abandoned basket mail is the one to start with.
1: Yeah, and that's making uh,
0: or how does, does is that different <laughs> with you or? Uh,
1: no, not okay. at all. Uh, if we talk about the, the funnel and and <laughs> the no brainers, uh, reverting back to that uh, that is absolutely crucial. And mm. what we've also seen with that is a lot of companies, they try to nail what exactly should their copy be in the subject line or in the, yeah. in the email, body text, and so on. For us, it's a lot about that moment of truth, tapping into the fact that you've put something in the basket. Mm. Again, what we've also seen that uh, because an abandoned basket event is so low funnel and is so... Personalize in a sense that this is also something where I think a lot of e commerces could benefit from having more basket than basket than they actually think that they're allowed yeah. to have. Yeah. Um, so more than just one email. Yes, exactly. With reminders and also something that we've really seen good results in is not only treating that low funnel behavior in the first three days after it happens, but also taking that knowledge about someone has been on the basket in later flows. So that could be uh, having an abandoned basket voucher that could come after two or three weeks based on the fact that you were on the basket uh, two weeks ago, but you haven't purchased anything yet. Mm. Um, Because even though the funnel uh, behavior is a while back, it's still an extremely relevant customer to continue talking to. And that is something where I've seen that we've been able to, to take an initial idea that that a lot of people uh, do, and then expand that into to having a cloth of uh, performance that we kind of squeeze, uh, even though it's 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 a funnel experience that didn't just happen mm. days ago.
0: I guess a lot of the, I mean, you're carrying a lot of expensive items and a lot of luxury. I guess some of it is also uh, like a consideration part. So I'm I'm maybe almost buying this expensive winter jacket, but I can be almost buying it for quite a while. It's not mm. like a bottle of milk or whatever. I mean, it's like, mm, should I? Shouldn't I? And I want to show it to my wife. I want to show it to my friends. And I need to count my money twice or three times before I really realizing. And maybe there'll be a sale. And will I get a? Will I maybe get an, a, a discount voucher in the email if I let it lying around for a little bit more? So it's not one moment. It's it's like a period of truth, <laughs> almost.
1: Yes, for sure. And and that's really what we've seen that. Uh... It's a lot about timing for the customer. Mm-hmm. It could be that they're waiting for the salary, could be that they're waiting for yeah. that uh, extra discount and so on. Yeah. And um, so that's just a really, really good learning that uh, don't treat your automation just uh, as a one-off in, yeah. in a moment of truth, but that you yeah. can continue to re- revisit certain yeah. types of behavior that you can then trigger something upon.
0: I guess you could include abandoned products. In the uh, payday email, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, even so, so you wouldn't necessarily only have it in automated flows, but actually put it into some of the uh, the campaigns as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. And yeah. what we've also seen is that even though it would be amazing to have, we don't have the wish list function uh, mm. at Minto, and this also means that there's a lot of customers that actually use their basket as a wish list. Ah. And I've really come to understand that that's actually a common thing. Uh, so it's not necessarily that it's so low funnel as we always think but mm. it's also for someone keeping it for later in yeah. a sense uh, so that's why we continue
0: talking into that basket yeah. okay that makes sense uh, so t- to talking about again sort of the balance between what would normally be considered automated flows based on life cycle and the seasonal campaigns i know that you're doing something also there where you're automating some of the communication that other people would think is seasonal campaigns or weekly newsletters. Can you, can you talk a bit about that?
1: Yes, yeah, so if, throughout my time at Minto what I've seen is that, uh, if you say regular marketing automation can take you to some extent in the sense that you can get that baseline uh, performance, uh, but that also hits kind of a cap After some time, it's a plateau. There's there's a plateau, and there's also a boundary of how many moments of truth that you can tap into. Also, reverting back to what you mentioned uh, uh, or that we talked about uh, with the email pressure for a customer. So, you also need to respect how many flows uh, you can build uh, to kind of uh, spam your audience, even though it's automated and more personalized. Yeah. And so, what I was really considering is how can we actually do some of the same things that our campaigns is doing, but in an automated way, yeah. um, given my experience with e-commerce in the past 10 years, both with, with Saxo, Vertex, Silvan, and now Minso, is that what really carries out uh, good campaigns is that they bring in these performance peaks and they do that, of course, because it's a sale, it's a good offer. Mm-hmm. But they also perform really, really well because they're sent to a large uh, and substantial yeah, scale amount of. It. of yeah. The scale of it is 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 crazy big, and that's why regular marketing automation will always struggle kind of to compete with uh, manual campaigns because manual campaigns get to send to 100% of the subscribers, yeah. while automation taps into events like uh, a basket, uh, putting something in the basket, or signing up, or mm-hmm. uh, placing a transaction which is actually a very, very low percentage mm. of the entire permission base. Yeah. So my idea was taking this uh, concept of the campaigns, building it in a in a wheel of content that looks manual but is automated and then having a, a target group that is uh, kind of an evergreen target group based on um, not only the, the things that drives uh, marketing automation but also the thing that shows some sort of intent. Okay, so, so people moving up
0: not super, super top funnel, but have shown some degree of intent. Exactly,
1: yes. And and what we've uh, done is that we've combined these different conditions and, and boiled down to a target group that uh, continuously keeps itself up to date with a relevant audience. Hmm. So events that we look into is uh, clicks from emails, opens from emails, uh, of course, past transactions, but especially... Uh, past browsing behavior on Minto. So if you've been on Minto for a certain amount of uh, time uh, in a given session, that really indicates to us that you're in the market uh, to purchase something. So we use these uh, automated campaigns, as, as 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 we call them, as kind of a retargeting to people that we can see are in market, but haven't placed any transaction yet. Yeah. Um, but it has really been a balance for us not only to understand how do these automated campaigns talk together with our manual campaigns. Of yeah. course, they can't overlap. So you suddenly have two. So you plan different campaigns. days, or? Yeah, so what we do is that we tie every send out up uh, with a timestamp. Uh, so understanding that this recipient has received uh, an automated campaign or this recipient has received a manual campaign, mm. because by doing that, we can uh, create in Agilic what is called a looping. So we, yeah. we take, information about this uh, recipient profile saying that if you have a timestamp for an automated campaign that is this fresh, then you can't receive a manual campaign yeah. as of right now. Yeah, so so, we'll move and, you in for a bit later. Exactly. So in that sense, we we kind of uh, keep people cooking, uh, but we don't overlap uh, in their inboxes. Hmm. And that's how we, we ensure that uh, that we're not spamming too much and yeah. also that we're not uh, tapping into to someone that would have placed a transaction otherwise uh, and then just sending them a voucher that's also a balance yeah. that uh, a high intent is also something where you need to be careful that you're not just killing your own profit margins because yeah. they're showing some sort of intent and then you give them a voucher yeah. so that's also been a really difficult balance for us but i think we've landed in a good spot um,
0: and how, the how most... do you put together the content yeah. um... So, mm. an automated campaign email that goes out what what does it say How do yeah. you do that
1: so i, I really looked at what and um, what what does a manual campaign do uh, mm. A manual campaign has uh a lot of different ways in saying kind of the same offer yeah. uh, that could be in the subway line in the pre header in the in the top banner and uh, mm. the c t a and so on So what we've done at Minto is that we've taken this information and said, okay, this is an overall skeleton and layout of an uh, of a manual campaign. Mm-hmm. Let's do different versions of this uh, based on what weekday uh, recipient receives uh, an email. So okay. if you receive on a Wednesday, the email would have a different subject line, a different header and so on. And if you then uh, for your next uh, time uh, enter the target group on a Thursday, then your email would look differently.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's, how I mean that we not only have a, a evergreen target group, but we also have evergreen content yeah. that bases itself off what, uh, what their weekday it is and also what we can see a customer previously has experienced. So okay. if you've re- experienced a Wednesday just recently, you wouldn't be seeing the Wednesday version of this uh, on the other side.
0: Clever. Okay. Yeah. So you have two Wednesday versions or I'll just get the Thursday version? or Exactly. And yeah. we just go uh, to the next weekday. That's really And what has that done to your your revenue from uh, from automated emails? It 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 has more than doubled uh, our our automation. So uh, in two
1: thousand twenty three, we did uh, quite far uh, past one hundred fifty uh, Danish million kroner, and that was uh,
0: like twenty million euro for
1: yes, twenty million euros, and yeah. that it was a growth of I would say almost hundred fifty percent. Versus the year before, mm-hmm. um, so Which is good
0: in itself. I would say
1: it's uh, it's it's been really really good. And and what has been even better about it is that we're not just mirroring mirroring the manual campaigns completely. Because what typically drives our manual campaigns is that we run with a twenty percent voucher to yeah. convert our audience. But what we've seen is that we're actually able to convert this high intent audience uh, with a lower voucher. Meaning mm. the profitability from from our automated campaigns is is a lot better, um, wow. and just in general, this synergy where we fluctuate between a, a lower voucher and a twenty percent voucher throughout the calendar month has really, really been uh, crucial for for us to to grow in this uh, challenging uh, year that we have behind us.
0: Wow, that's a I think that's. That's going to be very interesting for for a lot of people out there. Uh, So a question that I'm asking uh, most people on the show here, uh, because, I mean, generative AI, obviously uh, people have have been using AI for some time now, but generative AI is really the the new kid in town. Uh, What are your plans for doing anything with generative AI or are you already uh, doing anything uh, on that? Yeah,
1: so as as most uh, people, we've uh, also have uh, had a really strong uh, eye on AI. Um, so what we see initially is that uh, we've been able to gain some really, really good uh, results on site. So on Minto, mm-hmm. um, reverting back to the talk about uh, product descriptions and yeah. product titles and so on. Yeah. This is where we've really been able to use AI to, to have some uh, Generated copy that is much better and much more scalable than if we had to have a team of people that doing this for more than half a million products.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So,
1: taking that logic and, and actually putting it into our automation setup, what what we're trying to understand how we can do is having some generated uh, copy in our emails, in our low funnel emails. So, more specifically, okay. our abandoned basket. So, what we've had And I think this is common for a, a lot of uh, e-commerces, and it's actually one of the pitfalls uh, with marketing automation that you sometimes fall in the trap that is called uh, set and forget, uh, where you set up an uh, automated email yeah. and then it actually runs and it brings in some baseline performance,
0: and you never look at it. It again.
1: Also, <laughs> then you never look at it again. And I think one of the main reasons for this is, of course, a resource question. Uh, and for us that have automation in more than uh, Ten markets with more than ten flows and consisting of like way above five hundred uh, automated emails is that it's 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 a challenge sometimes actually deep diving in and tweaking these emails. Yeah. Um, so what we've tried to to do is uh, partner up with the company called Elvis AI, where we're right now doing a pilot. Uh, where they are with their uh, tool, providing uh, capability of being able to put in. Generated copy in our mm. abandoned basket emails. Yeah. So, actually scraping what is in the customer's uh, basket based on the product URL that we have inside of Agilic and understanding what products that you have actually put into your basket. Mm. And that has been really uh, interesting to see how crazy AI is, but also to some extent how, um, how powerful and scalable it can be if, if we actually manage to nail this. And I think the the potential of having generative copy not only in a band of basket but in general in marketing automation yeah. is so powerful because that actually gets you out of that set and forget trap and actually makes your copy continuously uh, populate itself yeah. and uh, be fresh yeah. and uh, in general what is really really cool about it is that it, it can also self-learn mm. so it can become better and better so understanding what is it that's driving the opens, the clicks, the conversions? And in that sense, you'll have a, a snowball effect of uh, performance that will build better and better the more you let it loose. Uh, a really interesting project, but it's also, as I mentioned, a scary project where, as marketing automation can be super cool, but it's also something that lies under the hood. Yeah. And, and my biggest fear is suddenly going viral on LinkedIn uh, with a mental email that just. Yeah. has written something crazy to a customer
0: exactly and it's the equivalent of a uh, self-driving car that hits someone exactly yeah. so it's, uh, it's really about impact. testing yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right we're gl- drawing towards an end here yes but this this is a crazy uh interesting experience i'm looking forward to see as i understand it, this is quite new so i'm really yes. looking forward to see the the results uh, from this uh so as in the end, here your favorite example of personalization that you've experienced as a customer. What would that be?
1: Yeah. So um, what I can, what comes to mind and what really inspired me to to work a lot with uh, with marketing automation is based on when I've been in the market for looking uh, at a trip, uh, going on a summer vacation or a, a winter vacation and so on, going into Tripadvisor uh, in, in sites where you look and research for either hotels or destinations and actually see afterwards how relevant the communication, also to some extent a bit scary. Uh, the relevant uh, communication can be in your inbox. we really talking into the hotel that you've looked the most at, the destination that you look the most at, uh, restaurants in that area that are uh, well-reviewed and so on. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's the dream uh, within Marketing Automation, uh, for me at least.
0: All right. Thank you very much, Jesper. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us uh, here in the podcast today. Uh, it's been crazy interesting uh, talking to you about these topics, and I'm very much looking forward to hear more about the results also, also in the future and from the Generative AI part. I think a lot of people will be uh, looking at you and wishing that that was kind of where they were. So uh, so keep up, uh, keep up the good work and uh, I'll see you uh, out there again soon. Um, and for, for, the, for the listeners, I would like to say thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this episode of uh, the Hello First Name podcast. Uh, next time, uh, the next chapter will be um, a more uh, classic audiobook chapter. Um, but until then, remember that you can download all the illustrations and a written abstract of the book and so on. Um, if you go to omnichannelinstitute.com. Uh, you can also listen to the past episodes, so I hope you'll be doing that. So again, Jesper, thank you very much for joining. And uh, thank you for having me. Have a nice day. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening in on this episode of Hello First Name. Remember that all models and even a written abstract of the book are available for download. You'll find the link in the show notes. In our next episode, which is a classical audiobook chapter, we'll be listening to Chapter 12 Content Part 2 Content Feeds. How should marketers adopt personalization of content feeds of products, articles, courses, shows and the likes to profit from personalization?